0: Welcome to IT for Whiskey, a podcast for new or existing managed service providers and your occasional whiskey connoisseur
1: by experienced managed service providers. My name is Myron Herrera. My company is Cinetech Solutions. Uh, we are a MSP based out of Dallas. I'm also the CEO of Greenlink Networks, which is a voice over our IP uh, channel only based out of Dallas as well. Business started in 2004. Combined, we're about 30 employees. You know, the reason I I wanted to do this podcast was because visiting a lot of these events, I I realized that a lot of the MSPs that were starting up were struggling with some of the same things that I struggled when we started our business. Meeting Craig and Joe, we shared the same passion and a lot of the same issues that that we experienced. So wanting to take that pain away from some of the new guys, they decided to go with this podcast. My
2: name is Craig Hickman. I'm with Pro Blue in Bloomington, Indiana. ProBlue is a man service provider. We started in 2005. I started with, I think, a total of three employees, and now we've grown to 11. We're a small shop. We're located in South Central Indiana, servicing a little over 200 customers. This is a great opportunity for me to talk to other peers and learn what they have done and what they have not done well and avoid all those caveats. This is a learning experience for us and also hopefully helping others along the way.
3: My name is Joe Yusea. I'm the CEO for IT. We're located out of Toronto, Canada. We're currently about a dozen employees. We're an MSP. We were originally founded in 1999. I truly believe in this podcast because I wish somebody was there to help me and and teach me a lot of the mistakes that they made and share with me their mind share on, on how to overcome issues. So I was lucky enough to meet Craig and Myron a few years ago and many years in the working and here we are. So we hope that you really get a lot out of this podcast and learned the things that I wish somebody would have told me. Follow, like, and subscribe
0: at itforwhiskey.com. Now here's your hosts, Myron, Joe,
2: and Craig. Welcome back to another new episode of IT for Whiskey. Today I have with me Joe, Myron, and Kev, the Flying Hawaiian. Hey. Hey.
1: Hey. <laughs> What's up, Kev? How are you guys? Finally have you on. It's kind of weird because I always hear you guys, but it's never really get to interact with you guys. Yeah, so so for those that don't know or haven't connected the dots, uh, Kev's been the master behind the scenes. Doing all the edits, and he's the he's the intro that opens us up on every single episode.
0: Right. So every time you hear Myron say, "Hey, Kev, edit that out." Well, they we don't hear that.
1: They <laughs> don't hear that.
3: <laughs> I've left some in Yeah, we usually end it off with "Take it away, Kev." That's right. One of these
0: days, I'm going to release like a blooper episode. That would be awesome because some of the stuff that you guys say
3: is amazing. It's gold. So what are we talking about tonight Joe? I think that we are going to be talking about a topic that uh, appeals to most people work life balance and I think it's also a topic that our our good friend Kevin here can elaborate on and and contribute to as uh, that's not really something specific to our industry but it's something that's specific to everybody out there that struggles with work-life balance I know I do I struggle with work-life balance all the time yeah
0: it's totally one of those things where I like I try to fake it and make it seem like I do I really don't. I fail.
2: It's called poor choices, Kevin. Poor choices.
0: (laughs) I thought it was called adulting
3: because yeah.
2: (laughs) That's definitely a poor choice.
3: I think I think that's the one class in my
1: life I've always failed. (laughs) So so, Craig, you seem to be the one that has the best balance. I agree.
2: So how do you do it? Took um, some time to figure out because in the beginning it was a constant work all the time. About four years ago, before I met you guys, I started to look at what I was doing and made a change. That's when I decided, I think that was uh 2014, I decided that I was going to delegate everything. Everything was going to be delegated. And if it couldn't be done by somebody else, then, then that's when I would take over and I would do it because I was just inundated with work and could not do both at the same time. So eight to five is work But then evenings, I do work in the evenings after everybody's gone to bed. And then the weekends, I try not to work as much as I used to. I try to only do a little bit of work on the weekend. But it was definitely making the choice of delegating the chores that I was doing that I shouldn't have been doing and giving it to somebody else.
1: How difficult was that? Because I feel like that's an area that I'm going through right now. How difficult was it? I know you guys know that I've hired a, a executive assistant and, and she's been great. Right. And she's streamlined a lot of the things that I do. Uh, but there's still stuff that I feel that I can probably push to someone else so that I can balance my life a little bit more, especially, you know, as you know, that I do a lot more traveling to New York and visiting customers across the country and events and things like that. How, how hard was it for you? And how much pushback did you get from the customers? Because that's always the worry, right? From probably for most MSPs is that how much pushback is going to, are they going to get from the customer because it's not them and it's now someone else that's handling that stuff?
2: I I had three customers not happy about it. I honestly did. They were not pleased that I wasn't attending the meetings when I sent somebody else in my place for the meetings. Even though the person I delegated this to to schedule the meeting contacted the customer and said, I would be coming to discuss your budget for whatever year it was. I was not included in any of the communication whatsoever. They just assumed I was gonna show up anyway when he went on site. And I kind of learned that, that maybe when, when the other uh, communication go out that you need to be part of the communication with the customer and let the customer know that this person who's going in my place, you can trust them and that I overlook, I still overlook everything which is a lot less time than spending the time with each individual customer, which is a, is a is a large amount of time.
3: Right. Joe, how about you? You've been pretty quiet. I'll say this, it's tough as an entrepreneur and it's tough as someone that, that likes to control the customer experience and make sure it's an optimal one to delegate and let go. It is hard. I've been doing more and more of it lately and I'm doing it slowly. I didn't do it, uh, I'm not doing it as abruptly as uh, you, you probably have, or you probably did from the sounds of it. Yeah, and I'm I'm just doing it slowly and and one of the ways I'm doing it is I'm I'm hiring more account managers to kind of run the the farming side of these accounts and I just go out there and hunt. So that seems to be working because we still do our as I mentioned in previous podcasts, we do a quarterly briefing review with our customers and I go to every single one of them. And it really ha- that has been the biggest the single biggest differentiator for us. So our customers don't feel like i've kind of pawned them off onto someone else um, because they're still seeing me once a quarter minimum, and it kind of works out from that perspective for us, but I need to do more of it, and I need to have more work life balance like this past weekend. I uh went away with the with the family, and it was good I needed that a couple of days I went with, with my partner we went out, took off and took the families and you know what? It, it was fantastic. Kids loved spending time with me and cause they never get to
1: see me cause I work so much. So it
3: was, it was great from that perspective. You do that more.
1: No, for sure. I think that's, that's important. And, and those, those short weekends, they really, they really do make a big difference more, more than what, than we, maybe what we expect. They, um, they do
3: have a bigger impact. You're right. I underestimated the value of, uh, those, uh, those weekend getaways.
1: So, you know, when I'm, when I'm here uh, in town in Dallas um, and I'm not traveling, I try to maintain that, you know, nine to five schedule for the most part. And after work, I, I don't take home uh, work home. I know that's something that's, that's pretty common. Uh, I know Craig does it and, and, and Giovanni does it, my business partner, and stuff like that. But um, I don't take home uh, work home uh, because I try to de- dedicate it to my wife and the kids. Kev, Give us your perspective. I mean, how do you deal with it? You know, you, I, I know you do some work from home and things like that. How do you balance that?
0: I work for a radio station. I am the morning show host as well as the program director, generally in the studio by about 5 a.m. Luckily, I'm not really tasked to go out and meet with clients or anything like that. But generally, I like to get off right around 3.30. That way I have plenty of time to get home and kind of hang out with my kid as soon as he gets out of school he goes to bed around 9 30. so long story short the hours between 3 30 and 9 30 i try to keep work to a minimum but then after he goes to bed it's when i finish my last minute editing or kind of look at my planner for the next day see what's on the agenda
1: and and at the end of the day it's 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 the, the the time period that's quality time right so for you it works it works perfectly For Craig, you know, he waits, I I think if I remember from him telling me, he waits for everybody to kind of go to sleep, and then he kind of gets back into it, right? I've
0: definitely gotten texts from Craig after midnight's about 3 a.m. Me too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Clients always wonder, like, do you ever sleep? Because it was like 2 a.m., and all of a sudden, I got all these quotes that came in. I'm like, hey, I got it done. It may not make any sense, but...
0: My question for you is, what's that conversation like that you have with, say, a client as you're maybe introducing him to the new guy who's going to be kind of taking things over? Is it like one of those situations where you're like, hey, this is so-and-so, yada, yada, yada. But here's my phone number just in case anything might arise. Feel free to give me a call.
3: Mm, I actually prefer positioning it differently i introduced it as an additional resource for them someone that's at their desk all the time and someone that's more available than i am because we value your business and we want to make sure you're supported uh, properly and we want to take care of you so you're just one more person i'm still here but for quick hits and for day to day run stuff then just kind of ping this person and they're not as busy as i am and it'll be a better experience for you
1: yeah and in, in, in our case at the at the msp on the synodic side we push everybody to call the help desk, call the, you know, email the support line, the smart support email, because that way it's tracked. And then we have the systems in place to track and make sure that those requests are being answered and, and handled at the right amount of time. Um, when they when they text me, now they have to wait for me to either get a chance to look at my phone and read the text and forward it to someone so that someone puts it on their uh, agenda Putting it through the system, even if they copy me, if they want to keep me in the loop, that's how I've been doing it uh, from that standpoint. And that's worked for me. Um, Do you guys like turn off your phones between certain hours?
0: Because, I mean, I know I do. Like, hey, from 3.30 to 9.30,
3: don't
2: call me.
0: At least it's on like the do not disturb feature. Never. No way never
2: kevin my phone actually after i think 9 p.m to 7 a.m it only takes calls from people in my contacts list
1: aka you guys never stop grinding see i don't have any problems with my customers so i don't turn it off (laughs) wow wow
2: i wouldn't know because they they can't get a hold of me that's right (laughs) joe i guess it helps when you don't have customers you know what
3: thankfully i'm not that frontline person that people have to call to get help anyway so we got people for that. Yeah,
2: you're, you're at, uh, you know, there's like four levels below you before it even reaches you.
1: Exactly. Yeah, this morning this morning I got a call like at seven in the morning. I hadn't gotten a call that early in a long time. And it was one of our larger customer on the MSP side. And it, it ended up being a personal call, but I, I don't lock it down. I feel that it's, it's my job to really train the, the, or, or explain to the customer what the the, the right way to deal with things are. And if they're not doing that, then they may not be the right customer um, for my case. And that's a, that's a totally different podcast.
0: I feel like it's a, a respect thing. Like, Hey, I'm going to respect you on your time. You respect me on my time.
1: Absolutely. You know, and when it's within, within reason, I'll, they know that they always get me anytime. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm on, you know, on vacation, on a honeymoon, but they know that the normal process is that they got to go through, you know, the help desk or go through you know, their account manager or whatnot, that seems to work for me. Um, I'm more concerned about um, going back to the, the topic of the podcast. I'm, I'm more concerned about the, the work life, like in the sense of like your day-to-day work, your, your, the amount of tasks that you take on or responsibilities, you know based on what you're saying there, what we do a lot of, we have staff
3: lunches. And it sounds like a silly thing, I know, but I'd say uh, in a five-day week, three times, at least half the staff are having lunch together, Um, be it takeout, be it we cook something, be it whatever the case may be, we we literally all get together, we break bread together, and it's at least 50% of the staff participate. You know, these are people you see eight, 10, 12 hours a day, five days a week, you know, I see them more than my family. So I, uh, you know, you got to make good with them, if you will. But uh, ultimately, the reason why we do that isn't because we're trying to make friends. Um, well, the friendships are great and all, but it's just to kind of give you during the day that work-life balance. It's, you know, work hard. You're at like 100 miles an hour, 12 o'clock, hits. all right, let's go have some lunch. Let's unwind for a half hour, 40 minutes, and then we we'll go back at it. So I, I, I the, it helps me a lot. It breaks the day up nicely. It's kind of
0: like what we do here. The big boss man will splurge and get burritos for everybody or maybe a sandwich, pizza, whatever the case may be. And then uh, we all head into the break room or conference room and kind of talk about what's going on with the station, what's going on with the plan. Sometimes it's work life, sometimes personal life.
2: Do you you eat the burrito sideways like Justin Bieber?
3: Is this a Canadian thing?
2: No, it's not a Canadian thing. I've never seen anyone do that. Canadians eat the burrito from it's side down <laughs> <laughs> those Canadians. it's a
3: fake fake picture come on joe kev kev do you, you you've heard all our podcasts you notice a theme here it's like um pick on joe because he's canadian canadians are just way too nice <laughs> but we're, we're your cousins to the north you are you don't make fun of your cousins we pick on the cousins that's okay ah, you pick on your siblings not your cousins I feel like people up
0: north, those Canadians, they got like every reason to be angry. Eight foot snow, polar
3: bear digging in your trash. Yeah, but I am up north. I don't get eight feet in Toronto. Let me tell you.
1: Yeah, I, uh, you know, eight feet of snow is a lot. Let me tell you. I've never seen a polar bear in my life. Well, you're living in Toronto. That's like, that's like not even almost, it's almost not Canadian. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Well, what I was
3: going to say to you is this is, you know, yeah, you guys all talk about the white, great white north in, in Canada. Do you know that nine years out of 10, Buffalo will get twice the snow that we do here in Toronto? So, so it's not so great white north. You know, my friends in Buffalo complain about their snow more than I do.
1: Listen, I was in Whistler just last weekend and they get a lot of snow. Okay. Yeah, but that's in the mountains. What do you expect? whatever. That's Canada. It's mountains, man. I've been been to the mountains in Colorado and it doesn't happen that way.
2: We we can have a whole podcast on geography later. So one of my uh, goals is work-life balance is to make sure that I have a nice glass of whiskey. Ooh. What are you having? I am drinking Henry McKenna, which is a 10-year single barrel bottle in bond Kentucky straight bourbon, whiskey. I like to have it with a small ice cube. It is pretty pretty tainty, it's uh, it's pretty warm. So I like it a lot. I highly recommend it if you can find it. It's in a green bottle with uh, some gold lettering. You said it was a 10 year? It is a 10 year. They have have an older one too, but I don't have that bottle. I'm not lucky enough to have one. This one's actually a gift. Actually an employee bought this for me, which makes it very special. Not very often does anybody buy me anything. Oh wow,
1: that's fantastic. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I'm drinking
2: uh, Jefferson's.
1: Craig uh, mentioned this uh, to me uh, in one of the events or in in one of our chats, specifically the ocean version, um, which I have at home. But um, I got this uh, Jefferson's very small batch blend of straight bourbon and whiskey. It's actually really, really smooth, especially when you throw in an ice in there. It just changes the flavor. I would say try it without the ice. It'll be a little a little warm, but smooth. And then once you throw the ice in there and just let it sit for maybe one minute and then go back at it, it has a totally different flavor and it's so smooth, so nice. Um really like it. And it's pretty inexpensive too. I think it was like under forty dollars. I've actually always have
0: had my whiskey clean until I started talking with you guys or not talking but listening, because oh I I guess I talk to you guys. You guys just don't respond back. <laughs> I actually really enjoy whiskey with ice now. You guys were 100% right. I think you mentioned in previous episodes that it does help to calm down the bite,
1: if you will. Yeah, I I, I was the opposite. I never tried anything neat uh, when it came to uh, whiskey. I always threw a, an ice in there, and uh, lately I ha- there's been a few like the Elijah Craig and the 1792 that I've drank uh, without ice on the bourbon side, on the Scotch side, um, the Aberlour 12, or the um, the Oba. the Abunda. I, I have yeah, I haven't tried that yet. Um, that's on my list. But yeah, so it does make difference. You know, this does make a big difference to have a little bit of ice in there or a little bit of maple water. Yeah, I was
3: gonna say that too. So maple water fixes a lot too.
1: I will say it's funny because that is what I'm drinking
3: today, the Abalura Bunda. I'm actually drinking one of my older bottles. So I just finished the bottle from batch number 30, which was released in 2010. So the bottle is eight years old or nine years, almost nine years old. It's 59.9%. So it's really a strong cask strength. They typically, like right now in 2018, we're on batch number 62. So the th- weird thing about this Abunda series is that they don't actually release it as an age. There's no age to it. They blend a bunch of their whiskies within the series. So it's not a blend. It's still a single malt, uh, but it's blended within that, that series and uh, just blended by age. So they'll do different ages between five and 25 years old, right? And that's what gives it its unique taste. And every year... When they come out with one or they come with usually one to two batches a year, they'll have, you know, a different type of blend, different points in the year. And so it gives every batch is unique and has a different taste. It's it's kind of an interesting thing. So it's, uh, I believe they started in 97. So it's about uh, 31 years that they've been doing this series, which is kind of cool. And the one thing I will say, you know, this uh, sadly is the last one that I have from batch number 30. Got a couple of other bottles from uh, different batches, but this one here is my favorite one. Not to find another one is the question. And I will say as well that this is actually a Speyside, but it does not have the peaty muskiness to it. So that's why I like it because I don't like that smoky muskiness. I, I, you know, everyone's got their own preferences and whatnot. But yeah, it's, it, I know that Craig likes peat. No, 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 no. I'm not a peaty guy. Oh, you're not a peaty guy?
2: I mean, I can drink peat, but I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't like peat. Pete's not my guy. <laughs> no, just Kevin. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but no, I don't know. It's it, it's 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 what I was gonna say is the the cool thing about this one batch that's different. It's got a peppery taste to it, and none of the predecessors before and none since
1: have had that peppery taste. So that's what makes it different and unique. That's yeah, that's amazing. How you know uh, from one batch to the other, how different they taste. Yeah, sorry guys. There's there's maybe like uh, you know two three mils left in there. And now the bottle's gone, so we're screwed. Kev, tell tell me what your um, go to drink is when you are have to edit our, and you're gonna enter that out. You're gonna beep that out. <laughs> I am a big fan of basil.
2: Oh yeah, I can see that. He likes his basil Hayden.
0: Yeah, love me the basil. It's generally what is in my cup as I'm editing you guys. But the cool thing about living here in Central Indiana next to Craig is that uh, he's really opening my. Bourbon experience. Okay, we're going to have to
1: do like a bourbon tour here pretty soon. For sure. Uh, I think the, the whole barrel, uh, I'm going to pick a, a barrel and uh, all that good stuff uh, may be a real thing for this summer.
2: We could get about 200 bottles out of a barrel.
1: Yeah, Kevin's got to come with us. Done.
2: He can bring all the equipment to do the remote podcasts.
0: Totally good. Super easy to do.
3: So which, uh, which basil is it that you like? It's just the regular... Basil Hayden, or? I mean, I'm not
0: really swimming around in MSP money, so that's about all that I can afford. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, hey <you> know, <laughs> How do you follow that up? <laughs> I, I, I got nothing. You know what, for once, I, I'm stumped.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Speechless. No, you know, I, I, honestly, the price point is a lot less on the bourbons, because for you to get a nice scotch bottle, you're in the sixty, seventy dollar range, and in, in Canadian money—that's like one hundred and fifty. Wow. On the bourbon, on the bourbon, you can get a good bottle of bourbon. Um, at least here in Dallas, you can get a good bottle of bourbon for uh, thirty bucks. You know, so that that makes it a lot more uh, attainable. My collection has gotten a lot bigger since uh since we started buying more bourbon in my house.
3: You know, it's it's funny because that that basil, for example, is just shy of sixty bucks here. In Canada, what does it go for over there? 35? Mm, just kind of depends on the store and the sale.
2: It used, to, it used to sell for around 30, but now it's around $47. Wow. And for me, a if I'm buying a bottle of bourbon, Basil Hayden isn't, for around that price, I'm not gonna be buying a bottle of Basil Hayden, I'll be buying something else. I'd much rather buy a bottle of Elijah Craig than a bottle of Basil Hayden. Now. Now, I would buy a bottle of basil head and rye. Elijah.
1: Wait, wait. Hold this. Hold hold on. Hold on to this. Hold on. Elijah, we are waiting for sponsorship.
0: Mr. Craig, we love you, and we would be more than happy to review or accept any free samples.
2: <laughs> Especially the single barrel 12-year. Oh, it's fantastic.
3: We did a bottle of that this weekend. It was great. Besides the basil, generally,
0: I am sipping on Four Roses. Love me the Four Roses. I'm a single guy myself.
2: Four Roses, single barrel. Now, I'm going to ask you, gentlemen, here's pop quiz of the day. What's the difference between your standard, like, Basil Hayden whiskey, a small batch whiskey, and a single barrel whiskey? So my understanding,
1: and I may be completely wrong, but the single barrel is that it's coming from one single barrel. And the other is that they are they're not, they're not they're, they don't make a lot of it. So it, it, it's maybe like 20 or 50 barrels or whatever the case is.
2: Small batches, 500 barrels or less.
1: Yeah, that's what it is, yeah, right. That's right, 500 or less. No, they didn't make a lot of it.
2: And then anything beyond that is just standard blended, thousands of barrels all blended together. For example, it'd be like your Knob Creek or your Maker's Mark. That's how they keep the taste all the same, because they're blending thousands of these t- together and pouring them together, versus where you get a single barrel, but uh, Joe was talking about his abelure is like every one of them is different because they're taking different things and blending together or the single barrel obviously is just one barrel and it's never gonna be made again. It's never gonna happen again.
1: And, and there's a lot that goes to the barrel because the barrel can get more sun, it can be on the lower end of the of the storage facility and at the bottom it gets less humidity or more humidity versus the top you know where the top maybe gets more heat and those are all the different things that affect the flavor so uh, that's what really makes a big difference when i was at the at the tasting for the 1792 we talked about when you kind of go through the barrel there's a there's this like white foam layer that they kind of take out i forget what they called it but uh, there's some some bottles that they leave it in. And then there's some bottles that they don't. And they recommend it for for us if we ever go for the the tour to try it because it's a completely different experience. I forget what the name is. And I promise to get you that information for probably for the next podcast, unless Craig knows it. Eating the worm.
2: (laughs) Okay. No, (laughs) never happened. I'm not a tequila guy ever.
0: I've heard some really good things about uh, the tequila in Mexico. Totally different than the stuff you could buy here at the stores uh,
2: I, I've actually been to a tequila distillery in Mexico. And uh, at the end, they actually gave a whole bottle of tequila to a donkey. What? And the donkey drank the entire bottle. That's funny. One setting. And uh, just for the story a little longer, my parents took me to that. <laughs> They showed us how they use the tequila plant, not only for making tequila, but that they can use it for thread and needle. They use it for papyrus, for making you know, paper. And then they give a whole bottle of tequila to the donkey. And the donkey wanted the tequila. He was excited.
1: The donkey's probably used to it. He's probably an alcoholic.
2: <laughs> He's probably like, oh, this is the best stuff ever. Now, later in life, I'm like, that was probably quite wrong. <laughs> that was Mexico for you.
1: Well, guys, um, going back to the topic and kind of finishing off the the podcast, um, work balance, you know, is it difficult or do you feel, and it's a one word answer, yes or no. Is it difficult to give yourself more of a work-life balance? Do you have to take it all, you know, on yourself? Yes or no. Is it difficult or not? Craig? Uh, no, not anymore. Yes. It still is for me. But is it, is it, do you feel that it's difficult to do? I know a lot of these, a lot of the MSPs out there, especially the smaller MSPs are struggling because they feel like they have to take everything on themselves um, and they can't pass it on to someone else. Letting go was the biggest challenge. Letting go. It's hard sometimes. It really is. How does organization play a role? It does. I mean, and so for us... Um, We, I think it's more personal thing than, uh, than the organization. I think the, the, the higher level, the, the, the owners of the business are the ones that are struggling to let go because it's their baby. It's something that they started. This may be their first business that they start. So it's very difficult to let go. Uh, For us, it was, it was hard. We spent a a good amount of years where we, we probably should have let go a lot sooner, but we didn't. Um, At this point, um, I think we've we've allowed our staff to take on their roles uh, and we don't get involved. I'm still struggling through certain tasks that I believe that somebody else should do. A goal for myself for the next six months to kind of push away a lot of the things that I'm doing myself that somebody else really can do. A lot of people are now used to the fact that, oh, no, you know, Myron and Giovanni will take care of it. So... The culture has become that. So adjusting that culture, you know, in the organization, that's become something that we have to adjust to. And that goes not only the staff, but also the customer, right? And in in my case, also the partners. It's time, but I'm getting the sense that this is something that could be done. It's just, you got to plan for it. You got to push it. You got to educate the customer. You got to educate the partner, educate the staff. And, you you know, you should be able to go go on and and make it happen. Sounds like there's gotta
0: be a lot of trust within yourself
1: yeah well i think one thing that and I, I don't know if we've talked about it in the past or not but one thing is that you, we have to trust our staff that they're gonna do it and they may not do it the way that we we would do it because we all think differently but you know if they have the right intentions and i think we talked about this in the last podcast if they have the right intentions they will make it happen it's just not going to be exactly the way that it happens, Um, the way that I would want it to be done. And that's OK, right? And that's OK. And that's OK. And that's what we all have to accept. And we have to kind of just live with it, you know, and that's why we hired them. That's why we pay them and kind of move on from there. Essentially, it's like co-parenting and they're
0: helping raise their child.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So typically at this point, I say, Kev, take it away. But um, what do I say today? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, hey Joe, take it away. I'm
1: wiki wiki
2: whack. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not saying
3: that. No, you know what? You know what? I will say. You know what, Kev? Take it away, boy. <laughs>
0: That's all for this episode of IT for Whiskey, a podcast by MSPs to help MSPs. Don't forget to spread the word, like, and subscribe at IT for Whiskey. Oh,
2: wait, wait, wait. Hold on, guys. It's wiki wiki. My bottle doesn't squeak anymore. I am
1: the destroyer. You could have stopped recording a long time ago.